Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, the Athletics' Jordan Rock rejoins me to talk about a lot of stuff, actually. We talk about the change happening in the NFL when it comes to defenses. We talk about the Matt Ryan benching in Indianapolis and why so many older quarterbacks are struggling. We get a state of the Rams as the Super Bowl champs start 3-3. Three and three. And about the Christian McCaffrey trade and how close the Rams came to trading for Christian McCaffrey and what it means for their famous bottle of doing something inappropriate with draft picks. But First, want to tell you about another podcast here at ESPN, and that is the Excellent Low Post podcast with my former colleague at Grantland, my current colleague at ESPN, Zach Lowe. Zach talks all things basketball with the smartest people in the business. If you're not already a Low Post listener, I frankly don't know what you've been waiting for, but now you can listen to it twice a week. So listen to the Low Post wherever you are listening to this podcast. And now here's Jordan talking about the changes in the NFL and what's going on with the Super Bowl champion Rams. All right, joining me now, here is promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a returning guest before the year. We talked about the Rams and their defense of a Super Bowl title. A defense that has gone in interesting ways to start the season. We'll get to that, but certainly plenty of news to get to first with the excellent reporter covering the Rams and the NFL for The Athletic, Jordan Rodriguez. Jordan, how are you? Hi, Bill. It's great to be back. I'm so excited to hear your voice. And as you know, big fan of the show and um, certainly big fan of your work. So stoked to be back on with you. Did that sound too California? I said the word no. stoked. <laughs> so you've, again, how long have you been in California for now? Well, I grew up on the West Coast, so yes. but you know, at this point, I've made my happy return back out here, and uh, as you can see, completely uh, assimilated back. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned that right. You have the right to drop a hella. I guess a hella is more in Northern California, actually, right? Yeah, big week for the Northern Southern California situation, by the way. That's true. That's a very big good couple point. of weeks. Oh my goodness, they they yes. can't quit. They just can't quit each other, Bill. The battle for Christian McCaffrey between Northern California and Southern California. So much of what we'll get to today, the battle between Californias. But first we are going to go away from the West Coast, away from the East Coast. We are going to go to Indianapolis, Jordan. And we're gonna talk about a move that I don't know about you. I wanna get your opinion on this. I have to admit, I did not see this one coming. And that is the benching of Colts starting quarterback Matt Ryan. So I'll just start there. I was picking up my dog from doggy daycare when Matt Ryan was benched. I looked at my phone and I actually did the the blue check double check of am I getting <laughs> am I getting trolled here? Is this Adam Shafter reporting this news or what happened here? So were you surprised when you saw that Matt Ryan was being benched by the Indianapolis Colts? Yeah, definitely surprised within the context of what that move was and and what it was supposed to be. I think if you were going to lay it all out unemotionally and maybe you were going to teach someone about the situation who had no previous context of the situation mm -hmm. and you were going to lay the the facts and and the statistics and the situation in Indianapolis you know past the quarterback the mm -hmm. run game the offensive line you'd probably if you were that person you'd probably think yeah this makes sense but within the context of what that move was supposed to be and within the context of where they're at in their team build and, and their, their constant search for a quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, this was not supposed to go this way. I don't think. No, I mean, the Carson Wentz 
trade seemed more sudden and dramatic. Carson Wentz benching. I'm not benching is the wrong word, but the abandonment maybe is the word I'm thinking of. Carson Wentz. I didn't mean to laugh at that, but it is super accurate. (laughs) Kind of what happened, if we're being honest. Like the Colts were all in on Carson Wentz, and then three weeks later, basically wanted him out of the organization as quickly as possible. But that even took an entire year. This is seven weeks into the season. The Colts are paying Matt Ryan, I believe, something like $25 million altogether for this season. And they're benching him after seven games of football. And I think what really seemed interesting to me, and I want to know what you think about the the context of this, given how frequently you see moves happening around the NFL, it certainly seemed like there was an undercurrent in the reporting about this move that it seemed to be spurred on by ownership. Mm-hmm. And can you think of a move that had that in the past where there was that that sort of tone of basically ownership decreed that this move at quarterback had to happen? Well, similarly on their own journey through quarterbacks, I think of Carolina, but yep. in terms of, and in, in that ownership involvement, but in terms of this move in a vacuum, when you talk about Ursay being involved or yeah, like, I totally agree with you that undercurrent of sort of that looming figure in the subtext of those paragraphs that I've read about this, it's, it's a coach and a GM who have been quite clearly the sense that they're running out of time. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's so much of an interest. There's so many interesting layers to this, not just in the context of their journey through various quarterbacks, post Andrew Luck and and post Manning, but also the context of when ownership decides to get involved, when they decide to speak up or say being someone who from, from all the reporting around it and his own public comments was quite involved in the Carson Mm -hmm. Wentz situation and and moving on from Carson and this happening even quicker. And I thought that the comments too, by, you know, the the head coach and probably through various channels that, you know, the GM about Mm -hmm. not holding up their end of the bargain in bringing Matt Ryan and sort of promising that run game and promising that offensive line, two things that have not manifested for the for the Colts this year. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a double-edged statement really, because you can have that truth exist and the ownership understand that truth while also it's almost an admittance of this is not the quarterback for the various outliers that can happen in an NFL season and the way that defenses are playing modern NFL quarterbacks and, and uh, less modern Mm -hmm. (laughs) aged NFL quarterbacks. I think it was such a double-edged statement in terms of you can have, you can come here and succeed. We will build a perfect situation around you to support you. And that seems great, but it sort of exposes all of the ways that a quarterback needs to be able to deal with imperfect situations. And, and, you know, this is not to say that Matt Ryan didn't take a beating. I mean, it was awful mm-hmm. <laughs> that yes. the, the beating he has taken it, to start a, you know, a, a new, an, in a new place. And I would imagine it doesn't feel good to mm-hmm. ha- be under that kind of duress, but it also, I think is so much of a broader statement about, you know, where the league is at and also what happens when a team understands it needs to pivot more quickly, perhaps than it, than, than teams have felt they've needed to in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot to get to there. That's really interesting. I think a couple of components I want to get to. Number one, um, you mentioned Ursay being involved and the Mm -hmm. coaching staff and general manager almost apologizing to Matt Ryan as part of this move. And I guess something 
I know I don't think about enough, and I think maybe I'd like to hear your perspective as someone who does cover a team closely, but that process of not just selling your decisions about what to do at quarterback, the most important decision you can make in your roster construction, but just your broader timeline, your broader approach to building a roster, and and how you're not just selling that to your fans, you're not just selling that to your players, you're also selling that to your owner and having your owner be on board with that plan even when there are hiccups, even when guys do struggle is a really important part of the job as a coach or a general manager. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you see it happen in a variety of different ways. You see it, you know, and and it's also dependent on how involved the owner is because Mm -hmm. there's, I think, a a different type of quote unquote marketing process that happens when you have people in between the head coach and the owner or in between the GM and the owner. Um, you know, only in the most sort of dramatic of stakes did the Rams make a change at quarterback. And it was because Sean McVay bypassed the people in between himself and Stan Kroenke, who is not, you know, uh, he he's a hands-off owner. He lets the people who he believes knows mm-hmm. no football and who are, you know, very football savvy, make the decisions as it pertains to the team. Mm-hmm. But Sean McVay, essentially, after having conversations with those people, um, understood he had to be the one to present sort of in in dramatic fashion mm-hmm. the context and the stakes of moving on from this quarterback and moving into a new era at quarterback despite Stan Kroenke having placed a huge investment um, in escrow for Jared Goff in the first place. And so I think that type of outlier is um, is an interesting consideration in terms of the marketing pitch between you know, owners and and team personnel trying to find the quarterback. And it was, it seems to me in the, in the case of Indianapolis, that the gap between or the, the people between, or even the breathing space mm-hmm. in between team personnel and owner has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and constricted in the sense of um, how involved and, and understanding of the various sub moves. And I don't mean to hierarch them like that, but like, you know, the, the moves that at O-line, the moves that at running back, the the various things that, you know, normally an owner would sort of be looped in on, um, but maybe not have ultimate say in. And you've seen that distance grow shorter and shorter and shorter until it's almost the owner speaking through various people who have made these decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that that's very telling of sort of what the the stress and the um, anxiety of this process could be, but it's also telling of how the process has shifted a little bit as more information has become available to people who are in charge of these teams that may have been separate. You know, mm-hmm. in the past, it was like Jerry Jones was the only owner who was known to be as involved, right? Right. And now it's, that's very different. You're seeing David Tepper in Carolina, um, you know, as much as Maybe he'll say he's not fully involved. Um, it's very clear he's involved. Yes. Um, Jim Irsay being someone who I think probably would have been a little bit more hands-off before the the, the carousel of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've seen, like I said, you've seen his comments and his quotes sort of creeping, even on Twitter, where you used to never see these guys. Yes. <laughs> and, and you sure. know, long way of answering your question. But I think as changes and the league has started to evolve and shift quicker, quicker than ever, um, and people have had to decide whether or not to pivot 
at a more rapid pace than ever, mm-hmm. especially as the league has changed. And, and also probably in a, in a post, uh, well, in a, what the NFL is pretending is a post COVID world. Yes. Um, then I think all of these things are factors and, and, um, especially this ownership getting involved, I would imagine that's a balance that, uh, maybe coaches who came into the regime weren't necessarily expecting. Mm-hmm. And it's not a binary thing, I guess, right? Like it's not either your owner is Jerry Jones and involved constantly, or your owner is totally hands off. I'm sure it changes depending mm-hmm. on, you know, the situation going on with your football team. I think Jim Irsay during the Peyton Manning era and during the Andrew Luck era was happy to say, oh, you guys are doing a good job. Hands off. I will just tweet out random things about uh, giving away Colts tickets and they'll trend on Twitter for some inexplicable reason. Um, that was fine. But now with the team struggling, cycling through quarterbacks, cycling through plans at quarterback, whether it's Jacoby Brissett, Philip Rivers, um, Wentz, and now Matt Ryan, and now seemingly Sam Ellinger, um, not having that security, not having that stability, um, Jim Mercer is more likely to get involved. So I think that impacts things. The other thing you brought up, though, in your answer that I wanted to touch on that I think is really interesting is this idea that this is no country for old quarterbacks in 2022. And I want to know from your perspective, given that Ryan is struggling, given that we've seen other older quarterbacks struggle this year, is there anything to that? Is it a trend, do you think, or something that we need to watch for, or just sort of randomness and just a couple of guys maybe got old at the exact same time? Yeah, as someone who turned 30 this year, I would love for you to define old. <laughs> <laughs> so as, I can decide how to feel about myself today. As so. someone who is as someone who is 38 years old and someone who <laughs> is rapidly approaching a point where he will be older than any of the quarterbacks in the National Football League, <laughs> this is a concerning topic for me as well. You know, I actually think it has maybe less to do with age because I think some of these guys, like you could see Rodgers can still throw it a country mile. For Tom sure. Brady can still throw it over them mountains. Matthew Stafford who for all intents and purposes says he feels fine, um, can still, you know, throw, throw a nice deep ball, mm-hmm. although hasn't had much of an opportunity to do so <laughs> during the start to the Rams season. It's, it, I don't necessarily think it's necessarily a contextual element of age, more so how these guys create space and how they're given the opportunities to create space within the structure of what their offense is and within the context of what defenses are trying to do to them. And you're seeing sort of this influx and necessity for quarterbacks who can, and not just guys who can scramble and throw on the run, but guys who have a philosophical understanding of how to create horizontal and vertical space mm-hmm. in different ways that stresses a defense that is built to in style of defense and a, a sort of blossoming philosophy across um, the league. Great band made, name, by the way, blossoming <laughs> philosophy. But uh, that sort of defense that is a living thing is a living, evolving and changing, um, almost like sentient thing um, that is built and alive to constrict and to suffocate. And so I think that, and I, I can get into that in a minute, but I think that the the way that you've seen Matthew Stafford, for example, be successful against this type of defense, or, and I would say like maybe in 2020 is the best example of this, or Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers be successful against this type of defense is the way that they've created space with their arm angles and their eyes 
And that's one way of creating space. If you can do the, the no looks, if you can do um, the, the various arm slots and the sidearms and, and all the crazy stuff that they've mm-hmm. done to create extra space, not just, um, you know, what they can, can, or in this case, cannot necessarily do with, with their legs, mm-hmm. but the way that they can quarterbacks have an understanding of how to use their own understanding of the space around them and what their own physical abilities are and mental abilities to manipulate that space horizontally and vertical vertically mm-hmm. to create different layers and levels. So to me, it's not necessarily just about guys who can move guys who, who issue a run threat, um, but which is dominant in this new era and younger era really of quarterbacks. I think mm-hmm. age is a factor, but maybe not necessarily the symptom. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I think it's more a symptom of the era. It's not just quarterbacks who can scramble and move and throw on the run and be a threat in the run game or the RPO game. It's quarterbacks who have that innate understanding of how to manipulate the space they have and the spaces that the defense is trying to take away. And to me, I think that's the big difference because it's not like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan. It's not like they don't know how to do that. Um, you see it in the, in the, again, like I said, the different arm angles and the, the eye movement and the shoulder movement that mm-hmm. some of those guys do, you can see what they're trying to do in terms of manipulating that space, mm-hmm. but they cannot do it at the level that, and again, it's a symptom, not, not the entire thing. Some mm-hmm. this younger era of quarterbacks can, um, because they don't have necessarily that capability and you've seen it. You could try to manufacture it, um, through the play action. I would argue that this defense, um, especially if you can rotate post snap mm-hmm. is a play action killer and maybe not necessarily the most efficient way to combat it. Um, it's manipulation of space. And when you think about it, it's, you think, Oh, a, a quarterback who can throw on the run. But again, to reiterate, I don't think it's just that. I think mm-hmm. it's matching that ability with the philosophical understanding of how to, um, create opportunities and create l- uh, layers and contours and openings again, into a defense that is, alive and exists to constrain and suffocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think something we don't think about when it comes to running quarterbacks is not just what they can do in terms of their improvisation where, okay, nothing's open. I can run. And of course guys can do that. And that's an opportunity for someone like a Daniel Jones that Tom Brady just does not have. And is not going to have at this point of his career, Daniel Jones can pick up three or four first downs a game. But, but I think it's more that, it changes what you can do before the snap. It changes what you can do in terms of your game plan and changes what you can do in terms of the range of defenses you can show to the opposing quarterback. When Lamar Jackson had his MVP season in it was 2018, 2019, years all seen the same to me before COVID. So 20, I'm going to say 2018, but Lamar Jackson won MVP. And it was almost funny because you looked at their passing attack and they had basically one passing concept. They had the, the, the deep over underneath the go route where it was taking advantage of single high looks because the Bengals or the Bengals, the Ravens were the best running team in the league. And so mm-hmm. they were going to face single high looks because teams were terrified of not loading up the box because Lamar and Mark Ingram and the rest of the running game was going to chew them up unless they had more people in the box. And so by virtue of being so good at running the football, it limited what Lamar Jackson was going to see post snap, which made his life easier and also made the passing game, it required less from him and less from the passing game because of what he was able to do as a runner. And I think, you know, I don't know if this is 
to your point or against your point or aside your point, I think what I would say is that, you know, it, it just, you have more solutions, I think, as a defense when you do have quarterbacks who are not as mobile. And I think, like you said, the the sort of counters to that for quarterbacks who are not as mobile are, are sort of becoming more difficult and becoming uh, not as prevalent because you're seeing guys like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen where they have many of those same tricks, but they also have the ability mm-hmm. to run. Exactly. And so, you know, like like you're sort of, you sort of have the best stuff being from these veteran quarterbacks and being matched by the younger generation, but then also those younger generation have an option that the older quarterbacks don't have available to them. And I think it compounds and intensifies too when, you know, in the modern, like what, probably in the past too, but let's talk about it in the context of like the McVeigh era, Shanahan yep. era and onward, right? Mm-hmm. Like the modern iteration of, the passing game where you can manufacture ways to create space, which is the play action, which I am not saying is not beneficial. Everyone (laughs) I am saying that it can, you can, you know, you saw this with the Jared Goff era with Sean, you can become too dependent on it. I think when, when people know it's the only way you can create space, especially when you don't have a run game. Mm -hmm. So I think that it all kind of ties together when you can, when you're a known a team that is known to have to manufacture space in that way or have to manufacture via scheme which is the play action is probably the number one way to do that in the passing game specifically um this defense does not have the forgiveness of that that maybe previous philosophies might have had because this defense also if you're playing it true um in its sort of intended philosophy you're rotating post-snap. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you're in the argument just to kind of backtrack for people listening, because I know you've talked about this a lot, Bill, but like, no, please. this is the the argument of like the two high shells are, are killing the league's passing games. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not just that it's like a, like you said, it's a symptom of it, but further, it's the way that this defense is again, designed to be alive and evolve to constrict and limit space mm-hmm. for quarterbacks and for the passing game. Um, and so when this thing is in its truest iteration of its philosophy, mm-hmm. it's um, playing from depth and it's forcing the quarterback to turn their back and then they're rotating during the play action. Mm-hmm. And then the quarterback has to play concepts true and throw to landmarks, or they have to speed up their post-snap processing crazy faster and mm-hmm. figure out um how to come up with the counterpunch kind of in real time mm-hmm. if they do so and they hesitate usually the defense can win the rep because when you hesitate you die in this league so mm-hmm. it's it's all of that combined and so that's why i say when you are a quarterback and you um you are someone who's considered to maybe that can be your solve um or that can be your solution mm-hmm. defenses who play that philosophy understand that that's what you have and they can continue to constrict and play from depth and come down and and limit that space. But just like you're saying, when you are a quarterback who not only do you have the tools and the arm angles, you know, the Pat Mahomes and the, and the Josh Allens. And, um, you know, when you have those tools and the, and the arm angles, but that's not all you have, mm-hmm. um, that completely changes the way that the defense has to account from you and the way that they can assert against that space that you're trying to create. And it also gives you more counter punches available. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's almost like you're seeing the walls close in 
um, you know, which is kind of <laughs> terrible to think about. You yes. know, like you're seeing the walls close in quite literally on on some of these quarterbacks because of the way that this philosophy on the other side is is shifting and evolving and, and moving forward. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8-S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, and I think a really good point you made that I want to get to is... I know I'm guilty of this. I think other people are guilty of this, but the sort of reduction of the sort of broader defensive philosophy moving around the league is just a too high shell, which is not the case. I mean, yes, on one hand, we are seeing teams play more too high. According to the NFL's next-gen stats, they were at 33% too high in 2018, up each of the last four years to 41% so far this season. But what I found really interesting is that also, per the NFL's next-gen stats. Do you know who plays more single high coverages than anybody else in football so far this year? I'm going to say, I feel like it's the Rams. <laughs> it is the Rams, 83% like, based, of the time. Based on the eye test, because they're rotating. Exactly. Like, they're rotating out of their initial look, and yep. that's exactly how this is supposed to be played. I mean, it, go continue on your point, but yes, I, nope. I'm i with you here, Bill. I mean, I, that, that's what I'm saying. You know, I, I think you're... <laughs> Your point about it's not just, you know, line up two guys deep and then have them stand there and then offenses are going to be confused. That's not the case. I mean, teams have had two high shells for the entirety of our football lives. That's not anything new. But of course, it's what are you doing with that? Are you rotating? Are you spinning a safety? Are you showing a, a different pre-snap look than a post-snap look? Are you playing off the, 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 the pre- or post-snap looks you had earlier in the game? Basically turning defense into more of a active um, you know, an, an active being to confuse and slow down opposing offenses as opposed to maybe being more reactive and more just more static, which I think the Seattle cover three defense, the, the three buzz defense, Seattle popularized that way to trade around the league is sort of the last, you know, very popular defensive trend was more static. It was more about just we are going to get the athletes and the physical mm -hmm. forces of nature who can overwhelm you and play this defense. And I think this is a much more modern defense than the one we saw sort of pro propagate its way around the NFL a decade ago. Yeah. And I know I sound like I'm probably um, like dosing on <laughs> shrooms or something when I say this. Um, I'm not. No. But but thank, I, thank you like, for clarifying. I'm I do not, not think that personally. For the record, <laughs> I am not. Um, 
But like I said, this thing, it's built to be a living thing. It's mm -hmm. built not just to be super malleable with the types of players that are in the system. And I think starting and, and, you know, I see the arguments all over Twitter and I, and I see the arguments everywhere where it's like, um, you know, it's, it's Nick Saban's cover six or it's Dick Fangio's system or it's Brandon Staley's or, and, and frankly, mm -hmm. it's, it's dependent on the players you have. Of course. And frankly, it's like, it, it's all within the overarching philosophy of limiting the explosive pass play mm -hmm. and, um, understanding that, you know, the explosive pass play increases scoring rate, you know, by 30% per drive. Sure. And it's, insane, right? It's like, wow, they took a while to get to this conclusion, but here we are, right? So it the thing is, is at its core, this thing is built to be something that takes on its own life per system where where it is. And I think that's why you see um, coaches who are really good at coaching this system be mm -hmm. feel so empowered. It's why certainly when they were installing it um, back in 2020 with you know, the whole building shut down and Sean McVay was running his first team offense against Brandon Staley's first team defense, you know, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on one side and Jared Goff and Cooper cup on the other side. Mm -hmm. And you're watching this collision. That's truly biological of these two systems. One that was the dominant offensive system in the league mm -hmm. and you're watching change be forced upon it. Right. And I think that that's what's so empowering about this defense. If you're a defensive player is you understand what can be possible and you are in charge of that. Mm -hmm. um, you hear Rams players, especially when they're playing this defense in the iteration it's supposed to be played in, which um, I could go on a whole other tangent about, but won't <laughs> at the moment um, when they're, they're playing it really well and they've evolved it forward. What I'm basically getting at is when they can rush for their, this defense is um, mm -hmm. in its fullest form, but they're not rushing for right now anyway. Yes. Um, so when when it is like that, you hear guys talking about how free they feel within it and how you just see you see it all over their faces. You see everyone. I, I bet if you went into Denver's locker room right now mm -hmm. and talked to the defensive players, you would hear similar language and similar ethos of how freeing it is to play in the system because it's not just because they are asserting and they have the empowerment to move it forward based on what they can do well, but it also is because they have more answers for the offense now and mm -hmm. they can feel it. If, if people on Twitter who shout at me about <laughs> Tampa two and prevent and soft coverage mm -hmm. until they are blue in the face. And I don't see them that much anymore guys. Cause it's all muted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if people who imagine how frustrating they feel seeing another team pick and pick and pick and pick away mm -hmm. at an opposing defense. Imagine how the quarterback feels yes. having to do it. Imagine how the coordinator feels having to do it. I'm telling you it's infuriating. It's stressful. It's stressful for the running, for the running game. It's stressful for the running backs. You're having now these five, five man fronts, you're having different assignments in pass pro. You no longer have help in, mm -hmm. a lot of times in mm -hmm. pass pro. And then the quarterback is stressed. And again, it's that constricting. It's coming. Everything's coming at you from depth. All the contours are getting closer and closer and tighter and tighter as you pick your way down the field. And you can't mess up because you're given more opportunities to throw the ball, which mm -hmm. means more opportunities to, to F up at this mm -hmm. point. 
and make a mistake, one of your 11 guys at this point makes a mistake and everything goes to heck in the, in the drive. And so that is so empowering for a defense. And so, like I said at the beginning, when I'm um, sounding like I'm, I'm dosing, like it's, it's, it's this living constriction. Right. And I think that is why you're quite literally at times seeing the walls seem like they're closing in on guys who cannot create space Mm -hmm. in the most effective way to create space in the modern NFL. Yeah. And I mean, that's sort of the broader history of offense. If we're going to get into like that whole, like, let's do it. Like what, (laughs) what do offenses do is they create space. I mean, everything about offensive developments over the last 60 or 70 or 80 years is just what can we do to take advantage of the space on the football field, whether it's vertical, of course, Mm -hmm. throwing deeper, whether it's horizontal, stretching teams out into those different zones and taking advantage of every blade of grass on the field in terms of going empty or, or, or using more space before the snap in terms of motion. You know, offenses benefit when they have more space. When the field is bigger, the offense has more opportunities to get guys open, has more opportunities to create big plays, and defense is constricting that is the natural response. I think you look at more recent trends. I mean, the the Shanahan, McVay, obviously there's there's differences. Please don't yell at me on Twitter the same thing. I will meet you just like Jordan has muted you. Um, <laughs> you know, but like, like that idea of we're going to do lots of outside zone, to play action, um, take big shots, hit explosive plays off that, that really came into vogue seven, eight, nine years ago, and then became sort of the 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 most popular offensive philosophy around the NFL, taking the place maybe of the West Coast offense or variants of the West Coast offense. The natural response to that was, hey, take away explosive plays, force that offense to be much more, uh, force an offense to more strictly move the ball down the field and force them to rely on intermediate passing, force them to rely on hitting narrow windows because it's a lot different than when it's, you know, you have guys running deep 25 yards downfield because teams have been selling out to stop the run. Um, That natural transition, that natural progression is sort of the give and take of football. And I think it's not a surprise that we're seeing that happen. I think we're just seeing it maybe happen quicker than we would have expected. Yes, and it goes back to our initial conversation, Bill, because when it's happening quicker than maybe we would have expected, and you have people who are in charge and have a lot of money invested into these roster builds and into these team structures, and also they feel the autonomy and the empowerment to speak up or meddle with things that are happening, and they're watching maybe from a little bit more of a distance than the people who are scheming and on the ground in these meeting rooms, and they're watching things change they're watching it happen and they're they're also feeling that constriction they're also feeling that pressure um to change faster than ever i think you're seeing it too in the way that even against a constrained salary cap 2 years ago teams and, and the rams being one of them mm-hmm. teams started trying to kick the doors down a little bit more in terms of these picks for players trades in terms of these high stakes moves Um, Mm -hmm. because they're pushing, they all feel it. Maybe many of them cannot say what it really is, but they all feel it. It is, um, sort of permeating around the entire league and whether you're excited Mm -hmm. about it or you feel dread of it, um, kind of tells you where the team builds at, at that moment. Mm -hmm. Now let me play devil's advocate because you talked about how much fun it must be for these teams to rush the passer and I will and, and how important it is for teams to be able to rush the passer with their front four and I look at the best defenses in football so far this season by DVOA it's the Bills the Cowboys the Broncos the Eagles the Bucks 
the Bengals, the Niners, and then the Rams finishing up. And like you said, the Rams are not really rushing for as much as they would like to so far this season. And some of those teams do blitz plenty. The Cowboys blitz, the Buccaneers mm-hmm. blitz. But these are all teams who have really good front fours, at least on paper, whether it's the Rams who have Aaron Donald, who is one of one on the planet, whether it's the Bills who have Von Miller and a very deep front four, or the Eagles who are built very similarly, the Broncos who have found pass rushers up and down their roster. This is a a group of teams where they probably are in the the top 10 or top 12 four-man pass rushes in football. So how much of this do you think is what's happening with the front four and being able to control the line of scrimmage with the front four versus what's happening behind the front four? Well, I think it's both because sure, I think it's worse. I think it's really, really important to have a front like that that you've invested in and also that is aggressive and doing things. Um, you know, the Rams at this point, like I said before, they're manufacturing pressure in a way that maybe isn't philosophically true to the the ethos of what they'd like this defense to fully be. Right. And other teams like the Bills, uh, especially in that week one game, the Bills were sort of playing the Rams perfect idea of defense, really, which is the rushing four and then doing a lot of cool stuff on the back end with their zone. They stayed in zone mostly the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, The Rams, when they've been able to rush for it, they've mixed up the man and zone a little bit more frequently. And they've done some really interesting things with Jalen Ramsey, which they're still doing at this point. But what the Bills did was they they almost played the Rams perfect defensive game plan against them in the sense mm-hmm. that um they they were very they they very much constricted down. They came from depth, they got on the top of of certain routes that um they knew some of the deep Allen Robinson, for example, was gonna be in some of those deeper developing stuff. Cooper Cup mm-hmm. is always the first read and the you know, you're the first in the progression and then has a lot of the option stuff. So you can do a little bit more creative things with extra DBs and and those linebackers that they had healthy um in, in that space, in that mm-hmm. limited space. And you're also it's like the garbage shoot in Star Wars. You're pressing <laughs> down on that space as you go, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that's the interesting part about this, because when you have, um, you know, one or two good corners and smart safeties, then you can complement the pass rush out of a really aggressive style of zone that looks like man, you know, six, seven yards off the line of scrimmage once the receiver gets to that point, because you can come down and match routes and they can pattern mm-hmm. match and do those types of things. So that a lot of that does predicate though, on how well you're able to rush and how much you've invested in that front. I think especially now um, with the quarterbacks who can move and can create space, it's not, it, it's, it's still super important to be able to rush the interior, but you're seeing the Rams play around with different things. Like Aaron Donald is edge rushing. Yep which is, it is near Halloween. That's a frightening statement. <laughs> Aaron Donald is stand up rushing. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> may God have mercy on our souls. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, we saw, we saw in the Cowboys game, something I thought was really cool that I hadn't seen before was plenty of teams do the like, they'll do the double mug look where you have a linebacker in either a gap right before the snap. It was a Mike Zimmer trademark. And basically you're just terrifying the center because if he turns one way, well, you're going to rush the other way. And 
maybe you'll rush both guys, maybe you'll drop off and have neither guy, but the entire pass protection is basically frozen by this pressure. And what the Rams did that was really cool is they basically moved that to the left guard. And then, so you got the left guard basically in a panic of, okay, I have to worry about both these guys. And oh, by the way, the left tackle now is not getting any help. And that's where the Rams were lining up Aaron Donald. And that created the strip sack. And so I think, you know, those games of, what can we do to get Aaron Donald one-on-one are going to lead to more creative solutions. And I think lining him up on the edge and doing things to make sure he has a one-on-one on the edge are only going to be things that are going to make it easier. And that's something that teams would not have done, I don't think, 20 years ago with a great interior pass rusher. Yeah. And I think too, um, you're seeing it in, to back to your, your initial question, you're seeing the coverage manipulate in, in ways too, because, and again, they have the, the benefit of having Aaron Donald on the front and yes. Jalen Ramsey on the back and yes. Bobby Wagner getting everyone aligned in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. again, it is Halloween. Um and that is a frightening sentence. And so also, also Jalen Ramsey is suddenly a devastating pass rusher the past few weeks. Yeah. Well again, because they're not rushing for it. But anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. Um mm-hmm. but yeah and so when you have you're basically f- so so the way that this would work in its fullest iteration is if now you can, you're moving Aaron Donald over the front, right? And Mm -hmm. you're basically setting up not only where the quarterback's eyes go, if he's sort of that standard, like, I guess, uh, quote unquote, old, older era guy Mm -hmm. who's going to work the pocket and going to move around, but but from within the pocket itself or has the arm angles or has the, the different tricks, but maybe not, not really known as a guy who can scramble and throw on the run. Mm -hmm. Um, or move or create that space that we talked about. So when you do have those guys who are the modern, the more modern quarterbacks, then in a perfect iteration of what this defense has evolved into under Raheem Morris, and there are still things, you know, I don't think this defense is in its final form, but this is Mm -hmm. to me, the vision, right. Um, is now you've got Aaron Donald dictating, not just where the quarterback is turning his torso and where he is trying to move away from that pressure, you're also mm-hmm. dictating, Hey, maybe don't flush to that side. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, the Aaron of, uh, you know, for, for all his stature can shed and pursue like yes. almost nobody else in this league. Yes. Okay. And then you've got Leonard Floyd who has the length, maybe not the sack numbers so far this year dealing mm-hmm. with a knee injury, but he's got the length to pursue and get up in throwing lanes if you're flushed out of the pocket and you're moving and you're trying to create that space. And so then, so, so, okay. So maybe don't go to those sides, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's left. Okay, cool. I, you know, I see a lane. I'm going to try to go to the, Oh crap. Jalen Ramsey's right there <laughs> coming from depth, right? Because right. he's, he's playing around and, ab- and uh, behind the line of scrimmage, but he's coming from depth when he's not right at the line rushing, he's coming, whether he's in the slot, um, moving horizontally or whether he's coming down from depth um, mm-hmm. via outside or inside, or even at times a little of that mixed corner safety stuff that they've done. Yep. He's, he's coming downhill with bad intentions. And he, so it's like, now you've got those three decisions, which took me mm, good five minutes to describe <laughs> um, all happening within the space of two seconds, two and a mm-hmm. half seconds. So it's why you're seeing in the early part of the le- year, the Rams, um, are seeing a lot of quarterbacks who are just scheming the ball out really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, one or two, you know, first read, second read type of stuff, like uh, way, well above average of the league average of, of time to throw. Mm-hmm. 
or below average, whichever way you want to <laughs> put it. Um, and you're seeing that to to sort of try to get their feet settled under them and 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 steady. But in this fullest iteration of what this looks like with all of the players who they're moving around, um, that's what it's supposed to look like, not just to maybe cause that interior pressure that we know historically Aaron Donald has been so elite at doing, but now also facing more and more and more of a of uh, the new modern era of quarterback and how you can sort of adjust and evolve this defense, this particular style of defense, while still keeping that sort of cap on the back of it, um, how you can best adjust to move forward to also contain that space that the quarterback likes to create, the spaces that were once um, avoidable, making them unavoidable. So far this year on defense, quarterbacks getting the ball after 2.44 seconds, number one in the NFL by a pretty significant margin. No one else in the NFL below 2.6 uh, seconds before getting the ball, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in the NFL, that actually is a lot. The The average is 2.74. So it doesn't seem like a big difference, but it does add up over a period of time. Um, Let's sort of talk about the Rams and sort of get a state of the Rams here as they hit their bye. We've talked about their defense. Certainly, you know, there, there's been some issues, but playing well, I think, on the whole, um, especially relative to the offense, that I think has been sort of the the laggard so far this season when it comes to helping them win football games. So in terms of maybe diagnosing the issues with this offense, several places we can hit if you were going to try and distill it down where do you think the issues start with this rams offense through their three and three start well i definitely think it starts with the offensive line i think that the you could probably at this point call what's happened to them up front a position catastrophe in terms of the injuries that they've suffered and 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 mm -hmm. been dealing with it's been something like um six different line combinations in the first six weeks mm -hmm. and in game you know they've rotated between the combos that they've started with and then in-game rotations they've played 10 different linemen mm -hmm. um in, in various places and so when you think about the rams roster build overall um th that you and i've talked about quite a bit mm -hmm. and you think about what the mean roster build in the nfl is um, right. I guess I would not know a team that would be prepared at the start of the season to carry ready to play plug and play and viable options at like third string center <laughs> and fifth string right guard, which is what right. the Rams were working with um, by week three. So that's affected everything they've done. It's affected their plans for you know, acquisition on offense. It's a, uh, Alan Robinson. It's affected the way that they sort of have rolled him out in the beginning and the intermittent, you know, in the beginning of the season. And then I mm -hmm. think uh, maybe a better example of their plan for him overall manifested in uh, against the Carolina Panthers um, before the bye week. Mm -hmm. And it's affected the way that they've uh, run the ball, although that's a whole other <laughs> conversation in yes. terms of um, the various issues they've had in their run game. And it's it's certainly affected the way that Matthew Stafford plays and it's affected um, his protection, obviously coming in after recovering through the spring from uh, that injection he had in his elbow. You're not mm. wanting to get sacked a, a record amount of times in the Sean McVay era, era by um, week five. So I think 
that's been a huge issue and it's, it's a timing based and progression based offense and, and it's affected all of the layers they want to set up. It's affected the way that they've done almost everything, um, whether it's game planning to problem solving in real time to getting a, a very complex language installed in um, offensive linemen who they've just met essentially. Mm-hmm. And so it's been, like I said, it's been a position catastrophe. I think it's, it's, it's not the only reason why they've struggled, but it's been the number one reason for their struggles and why they don't look like themselves uh, at the start of the season. I think uh, missing Van Jefferson, who they get back this week mm-hmm. is a, is a pretty solid number two or number three in terms of um, how limited their passing game has been. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Stafford and the offseason procedure he had on that elbow. Last time we talked here on the show, we were talking about Stafford's elbow and the basic uh, the language the Rams were using and talking about it and how it was something that was going to be managed as the year has gone along. So far, it hasn't been great. I mean, eight picks, averaging seven yards per attempt, below average by just about every passing metric. And like you said, the offensive line has been a major problem leading to some of those struggles but sort of relative to you to what you thought Matthew Stafford might be heading into the season in terms of his elbow health in terms of his comfort level with the elbow in terms of how you see the organization talking about the elbow do you think it's basically where you expected or do you think the offensive line woes or or just the randomness of dealing with an injury do you think it's worse off than maybe they would have expected at this point of the season you know, I think the elbow situation is actually at this moment in time. Now, I don't you know, he's taken a beating. So I guess if you don't factor that particular element into it, like the elbow itself is in a better spot than I think mm-hmm. I would have maybe expected in terms of all of the conversation around it in the spring and just really not seeing the guy throw a ton, even into training camp. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of how he's feeling uh, now, again, when you get hit the way he's been hit through the first six weeks of the season, I don't think anyone's going to be feeling good at this point. Um, but the arm itself, the elbow itself, I think you're, when you're looking at his numbers, much more of a product of what's happening up front and what's happening in their passing game versus uh, what's actually happening with the elbow itself. I think that those numbers are um, much more reflective of that. I think some of the interceptions have just been flat out bad play by him. Um, I don't necessarily, you know, he's not out there. He's not throwing wobblers. He's not, um, they, they haven't really had a ton of deep concepts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not really seeing, uh, uh, what an issue might be there other than the fact that they just haven't been taking the top off of defenses. And they also mm-hmm. haven't had the time to let those, those layers really develop. Um, the one deep shot that he really had uh, success connecting with was Tutu Atwell, which I guess would be the true deep ball, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, which Tutu Atwell, to his credit, got the heck downfield very quickly because there was not going to be time to throw that yes. thing if he didn't. And But then, um, you know, before the bye against Carolina, you're starting to see a little bit more of those intermediate to longer length concepts develop with Cooper cup and Allen Robinson Mm -hmm. at times off the play action. And at times, because, you know, they've got a couple of guys inside helping out with some of the blocking and and all of that. And you saw, I mean, great throws in that regard. You saw no duress of the arm itself. You're seeing a lot of duress of Matthew Stafford and you're seeing a lot of, um, like I said, constriction in their passing game at this Mm -hmm. moment. So I think a better sense of 
where he's at physically will come once they get guys back and healthy along Mm -hmm. the line, which they are expecting to do over the next couple of weeks. And also getting Van Jefferson really, really reliable receiver who does just about everything, including, um, you know, stretch the field for them. Mm -hmm. Once they get him back into the mix as well, you'll be able to tell, I think a little bit better where Matthew's arm health specifically is, but, um, in terms of where his stats are at and sort of the the overall play of this offense, I think it's much more indicative of their issues in their passing game and their protection. I agree. And I think if you want to talk about the elbow, I mean, frankly, like you said, the, the interceptions are not being caused by the elbow injury, at least from what I've seen. And then on top of that, this isn't all that different than what we saw during the second half of last season. And by the way, when they won the literal Super Bowl and Matthew Stafford threw two interceptions, he was throwing he threw 13 picks in the final nine games of the regular season last year. So not crazy to think he'd be among the league leaders in interceptions so far in 2022. They can win despite that. Obviously, you don't want your starting quarterback to throw a bunch of interceptions. We saw them win despite that last year, but the defense has to be playing at an extremely high level and the pass rush maybe has not been there when they want to rush for. Or like you said, the offensive line has been a mess. And last uh, last playoffs, they did win despite not getting much from their running game, which has also been the case this year. And that led to sort of the the conversation about the Rams heading into the bye, which was that Cam Akers was being phased out of the offense and maybe the team altogether. Um, do you have any sort of update on that situation and what's going on with Cam Akers and the Rams running back room? Yeah, it's kind of complicated. And I think it's one of those things too, that's been simmering since the spring slash mm-hmm. summer. Um, I, Sean McVay his, historically hasn't really been specific when he's issued criticism um, publicly mm-hmm. when he issued criticism of Jared Goff in 2020 um, after, I think it was a San Francisco game. It was certainly after the, the Miami infamous zero blitz game mm-hmm. Um where he said, our, you know, our quarterback has to take care of the football better. Um, that was really the first time he'd publicly criticized Jared. And he usually is the type that has stood up there and talked about how he needs to be better as a play caller and needs to set guys up better for success and sort of those types of things. So when he's specific, you know, something's going on and you also wonder, you know, why be so specific in that moment? Obviously we saw what that all meant and why uh, with the Jared situation, but with the Cam Akers situation, it was kind of this weird ongoing behind the scenes saga where at one point, Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers were both dealing with what the team said were soft tissue injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, they both happened to return to practice at the very, on the very same day. And there was a lot of instances, especially against Cincinnati, where Daryl and Cam both traveled with the team, but did not practice with the team. Um, there, there were some instances where Kyron Williams, who's now hurt, but expected to return at some point this season, Kyron Williams was taking the first team reps with, um, Matthew Stafford and, and Sean McVay was, was very, very, um, outspoken in his praise of Kyron Williams. And, then there was the comments early in the season about um, Sean McVay wanting to see more urgency from Cam Akers, which again was was a notable public criticism, sort of unlike 
what he's issued in the past, which has been more of a general situation. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of been simmering into um, what has been described to me more so than, you know, negativity or attention as more of like a difference in philosophy between player and coach about some of the direction the run game has been going in. Mm -hmm. And I think it's where they're at right now is I don't know how successful any team has ever been publicly stating that they would like to trade a player and then trading said player. Um, just because when a, other teams know you'd like to trade a player, usually they wait for that player to just be cut mm-hmm. um, and then don't give anything up for um, taking the player. So right. it, it Cam is still on the roster. And um, as far as I know, it's a Tuesday when we're recording this. As far as I know, he will not be practicing um, in full with the team this week. And mm-hmm. Sean, it doesn't sound like he'll be expected to suit up on Sunday against San Francisco. Um, at the same time, you know, they've got until November 1st to try to figure this out. And Sean McVay has not ruled out Cam returning in full to the roster. Um, I think there's been a lot of commentary by people who historically have reported accurate things about the team or been close to the team or been close to Sean, where they they say they'd, they'd be surprised if um, Cam took another snap for the Rams. Mm-hmm. I think that it's one of those conflicting situations where, you know, he was an early round draft pick and he had a really promising rookie season Mm -hmm. and he still has, you know, in my opinion, um, being around him every day, he still has potential and he still has ability. And I think probably going through some stuff, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a player. And I think especially post post Achilles. And I think that they're in that Venn diagram of, do they decide to move on from the player as a whole and and maybe cut him? And then you're kind of grimacing as a front office because you don't get anything in return for a player that you did spend what is at times limited capital Mm -hmm. with the the way the Rams pick um, on and expect it to be a huge part of your offense. Or do you sort of just try to execute a clean slate with this run game when Kyron Williams is back and healthy. And that's kind of where they're at right now. And, and also how much patience does Sean McVay have in mm-hmm. this situation? That's sort of the, the Venn diagram center that they're caught in right now. And it's only going to be time uh, that gives us the full results of this thing, but it's definitely been a tricky situation. And I don't think, I think there's a lot more nuance to it than just um, he's not playing well. Um, I think there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do think we saw the Rams approach a possible replacement for Cam Akers recently when they were we reportedly <laughs> involved in the Christian McCaffrey negotiations. So from your perspective, Jordan, covering the Rams, how close did the Rams get to actually making a move for Christian McCaffrey, who ended up going, of course, to their California rivals in San Francisco? who they play Sunday with Christian McCaffrey, by the way. Um, Yeah, the Rams were one of the two finalists in this trade. You know, I had heard that it was the Rams. I had heard, um, obviously, the 49ers were coming in hot. This was um, as the week, uh, this past week escalated and and trade talks escalated. I had heard um, from multiple sources that the 49ers were preparing a pretty substantial offer. Um, you heard that other teams who were who are considered to be, I, I would say, in contention 
um, were sort of lurking around, nothing substantial offered. You heard um, the Eagles were lurking, but nothing real, no real sub- talks of substance took place. You heard the Bills were lurking around, no real talks of substance took place, especially with, I think, an initially like very, very strong ask um, mm-hmm. by the yes. Panthers in general, um, which like shoot your shot, guys. And <laughs> um so it, it was a it was a definitely um as things escalated, it was down to the wire. Um Rams 49ers Thursday afternoon. I got the sense that the 49ers were uh their offer was certainly the one that was was gonna win out considering um the breadth of it. Mm-hmm. And so this is an interesting situation that you know, Christian, I think, would have been a valuable addition to the Rams offense in that some of the quick game stuff they can run with him in the passing game would probably alleviate their line in the short term. And maybe mm-hmm. you work him into more of the offense in the long term. And then obviously their run game. I don't think they saw Christian as a lead back long term. They've been practicing, they've been sort of experimenting with two back sets quite a bit. And, and, in lack of a run game, they've been trying new things, different contours and creating and manufacturing a run game, including using Ben Skronik at fullback and then doing that sort of double backfield mm-hmm. um, with a receiver on one side and running back on the other side, which if you have Christian McCaffrey, you kind of get like three and one there. So, um, and I think long-term they saw him more as a, an underneath receiver, but um, yeah, it was an interesting situation. These two teams are both doomed for each other and destined for each other. So um, this was, this, this was, uh, quite the interesting situation. And I think the 49ers are certainly based on the, the, the pick haul that they sent over, hoping that it works out for them, uh, short-term and long-term. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit on Twitter, um, before we recorded and I, I wrote and about the, by the way, Bill, mm-hmm. you wrote a great piece on this, by the way, just want to say that. You. Thank you. I, I would have said it myself, but it means much more. <laughs> allow me, allow me to take that bullet for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, means much more coming from an actual qualified person to discuss this topic. Um, I, I wrote about the Christian McCaffrey trade and how I don't really buy the comparisons to the Rams for the 49ers perspective. I think the easy thing people say is, well, look at the Rams. They, they traded for Von Miller and they signed Odell Beckham and, and they did all this stuff. They, tra- they hate their picks. Um, and so trading draft picks is great because that's what the Rams do. And I wrote about why I don't think this is really a good comparison. The Rams, when they trade high draft picks, are usually trading it for players at premium positions. Christian McCaffrey, great player, but a running back, not typically seen as a premium position. And, they were trading for a guy who is already on a significant contract, whereas very often the Rams are either trading for players on rookie deals or uh, they're trading for guys who have their contracts brought down to the minimum, which was the case for Von Miller with the Broncos last year. So I wrote that very smart paragraph, felt really smart about myself. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, the Rams also just tried to make this trade. So <laughs> what, do you, what do you think it tells you that the Rams, who typically don't make a trade where they give up a second round pick and more for a player at a not premium position, were hoping to make a similar sort of trade for a player like Christian McCaffrey, who plays running back? Yeah, it's a great question. And again, I thought you outlined it really well in your piece. Um, I think if you're the 49ers, you make this move, A, because you think you are um, essentially a player away. You think you're in 
in not just playoff contention, but in Super Bowl contention. And you believe similarly to the the ethos behind some of the trades the Rams have made, um, you, you know, that you that this player will advance you into that next level of contention where many teams are in playoff contention. Very few are in actual Super Bowl contention. And I think if you're the 49ers, that's the ethos behind such a trade. I think a little of the ethos is do not let the Rams get this player. Um, the GM all but admitted that in his comments. Um, I, I think I saw uh, Nick Wagner have a, a good piece on this. Um, I should probably, Matt Barrows also has written some great stuff about this, <laughs> not just to, not yes. just to plug uh, non-athletic writers, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting, right? I think when, so I, there was a slight difference in the way that the Rams approached this trade in particular, one thing that stopped them or sent them taking maybe another path when they, they ran up to a, a fork in the road. And, and really it was the fact that they do not invest in, like you said, non-premium positions with running back, maybe being qualified as that type of position receiver mm-hmm. is one of the ones that they invested in. And so based on the load of picks that they were prepared to send for Christian and some of the um, reporting and investigation that I did throughout the week of the Mm -hmm. trade itself. My sense was that the long-term plan for him, especially when he's on the latter half of a contract that probably wouldn't stay as, as it would probably be restructured. And then when Mm -hmm. he's on the back end of that contract, um, you're using him a lot more at a more efficient position for him, which is receiver, which again, you outlined really well in your, in your column. Mm -hmm. Um, that was sort of what I got the sense of the Rams long-term plan for him. And it might still be that for Kyle Shanahan as well. Um, He likes players who can do a lot of different types of things. Christian McCaffrey is one of those players, but what it told me about the, the fork in the road with the Rams is, is there's, they've still got one foot in their previous model, which is, you know, making, trying to find ways to capitalize on what previously had been an inefficient mark picks for players market mm-hmm. by um making these picks for players trades for players that are either a cor- a top corner um a top who they deem to be an elite uh receiver mm-hmm. whether the general public agrees or not this is <laughs> through their internal study and a quarterback and a pass rusher and you've seen it especially with pass rushers you saw the Jalen Ramsey trade and you saw mm-hmm. the the Matthew Stafford trade obviously and that's that's where their model has sustained over the last 5 years or so in doing those types of things um got them to a super bowl twice one once and now they're sort of looking at a world where perhaps the market is becoming a little bit more efficient mm-hmm. um and and maybe they are now in the process of reevaluating where they're at in terms of the types of trades that they're not only making, but whether they're being priced out of those trades. I think there's an Mm -hmm. opportunity. The popular thing was to sort of set the, the, the offers line over line and look at them in comparison and say, Oh yeah, it was the fourth rounder that the Rams traded for Sony Michelle to help them win the Super Bowl in 2021 mm-hmm. that they didn't have that made the difference. Well, that's not necessarily the case here. Um, mm-hmm. What really happened is when the Rams understand that the fourth rounders on the table, they have the opportunity and the option to package on the back end through 2024 
packages of of picks, um, what would what would then make up for it on the front end of those Mm -hmm. 2023 picks that they didn't have um, in bulk that the 49ers did have. Mm -hmm. And so that's the nuance of a trade like this. Um, But I think the Rams hit that fork in the road where they either have the option to commit to really truly an investment that is outside of the model that they still have a foot in based on their current roster build mm-hmm. um and and go into a new direction or um you know don't make that don't equate those those packages don't you know try to bundle up um a crazy amount of 2024 picks to make up for that lack of a fourth rounder mm-hmm. um and stand pat with the offer that you've made and maybe understand what the, what type of markets you'll be seeing from now on will look like. And all of this to say, um, it's, it's an interesting crossroads overall, I think in their team build that they're finding themselves in because at some point they're, they've been very public about when and, and how they might need to pivot from the model that they had so much success with over the last five, six years how they do it, um, they clearly decided here that it wasn't going to be for Christian McCaffrey. Um, but how they do it, I think, is going to tell the story of whether or not they really think that they're in a window as long as Aaron Donald is on the roster mm-hmm. over the next two years, um, or whether they don't, whether they feel like they can continue to sustain what they're doing now. And my guess would be, based on the amount that the 49ers were willing to offer here. My guess would be that there's some some questions now about how competitive other markets for premium players might be um, and what the juxtaposition of that is with a team that did it earlier than other teams who have more picks now mm-hmm. who will be competing in those competitive markets and sort of what that cycle looks like. Yeah, I mean, certainly Rams are victims of their own success. Win a Super Bowl, trade some of your high-end picks for young players and teams emulate you which makes the market tougher the the teams trading those players get more in return and the rams have to reconsider whether it makes sense for them so absolutely i think they are in a a transition period which i'm sure they're not upset about you know they won a super bowl i don't think they're too upset that the market is changing but they are i think what they do over the next 12 months is going to be really fascinating so i think Mm -hmm. it's going to tell us about where they're heading and what ends up happening with sort of the, the, this version of the Rams roster. Yeah, because you, the way that they outline their contracts this offseason, everybody's lined up together. Matthew Stafford mm-hmm. and Cooper Cup and Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and Sean McVay and Les Snead, they are all lined up together. And so, and Rob Havenstein, don't forget Rob Havenstein. Um, everyone, best is, <laughs> everyone is lined up together at this point. And Aaron Donald is, has said publicly he's committed to playing out his contract, but the retirement consideration was real mm-hmm. and it remains a real conversation about how long you have him on the roster. My sense and my understanding of this team from the way that they have built their ecosystem to the way that they've constructed their defense, to the way that they've allocated finances, to the way that they coach, to the way that they acquire players, like everything changes when you don't have Aaron Donald. So if we're going to kind of reduce it to, and there's even some debate about, you know, do windows exist and do they not and all of that stuff. But 
if we're going to reduce it to the idea of a window, that's your window. Mm -hmm. So regardless of how efficient the markets have gotten relative to the one goal that any team ever should have, you'd be, you were, you would not be shocked, but many people would be shocked at how many teams don't actually have this as a goal and don't make decisions like this. The one goal is to win the Super Bowl. And if you believe that you're a team in, not only in contention, but you've aligned all of your team build structure to echo the period of contention you believe you will be in um, before finding a new way to build, before finding a new way to do things, then regardless of how efficient the market is, um, I would think that you would continue to be as aggressive as possible, maybe not for Christian McCaffrey, mm -hmm. but as the trade deadline approaches, as the decisions they make, uh, like you said, over the next 12 months approach, I would assume, uh, as I like to say, my educated hypothesis would be <laughs> that you would continue to swing big regardless of the, the perceived efficiency of, of the market around you um, and try to find advantages where you can because this is how you've constructed your timeline to not be content in contention, but to win Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could do another two hours on yes. this Rams discussion, but you also have better things to do with your Tuesday. So Debatable. Debatable. I think we're going, are you going on Debatable, the the popular fake TV show on ESPN? Um, <laughs> that's all I think about now when I hear the word Debatable. I just think, oh no, did I miss the taping or something? Um, um, Bill, I got to tell you, Bill, yes. um, I don't have cable. So, yes. you know, this is, this is this is my day. This is the highlight of my day today, frankly. Well, I will say that on a ESPN recording, it's very disappointing to hear that the guest does not support the ESPN brand of networks. But I'm willing to let it slide because <laughs> you were such a great guest, Jordan. Where can people check out more of your Rams coverage? Yeah, you can go to the Athletic uh, Los Angeles section. Um, I'm all over there in that vertical. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Rodriguez, J-O-U-R-D-A-N. Um, you can check out uh, similar such rants on my podcast, the 11 Personnel Podcast. We haven't had to change that name yet, but it's probably <laughs> coming, Bill, based on our discussion today. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, I really love your insight. I love having these types of conversations, and um, I like interacting with readers and listeners, too. So if you guys have questions about what we talked about, um, don't hesitate to shoot me a line. Will Ben Skoranek be the honorary guest if the 11 Personnel podcast changes to the sort of 21 Personnel podcast? So what they kind of joke about it internally, they call it 11 and a half Personnel, <laughs> which is delightful in my opinion. Um, so if we make a change, we'll just add a decimal point. Very fair. Very fair. Well, Jordan, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, the Athletics' Jordan Rodrigue. Obviously, as a football nerd, always love talking to Jordan about football stuff, where the game is going, where the game is, roster building, all this stuff that fascinates me. Hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. Almost hitting the halfway point of the NFL regular season, which seems absolutely nuts. I'm still sort of waiting for teams to turn into pumpkins or whatever the opposite of turn into pumpkins are, but we are dealing with a very weird 2022. Hope you guys are enjoying this strange season. Hope you are enjoying our coverage. And we have more football on the way next week. So thanks so much for listening.